Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Lawmakers voted to suspend the debt ceiling for two years, not raise it. What does that mean for your student loans? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. One hundred and sixty five Democrats, some of them in the so-called problem solvers caucus, joined one hundred and forty nine Republicans last night to pass a deal on the debt ceiling. The bill now heads to the Senate, where lawmakers will need to act soon, before June 5th, to avoid a default. If the debt ceiling deal goes through in its current form, millions of folks with student loans need to take note. That's because, like with any giant bill passed in Congress, there's a lot of fine print. In this case, the deal says that borrowers will need to begin repaying federal loans as early as September. That news is sure to come as a shock to folks who got used to the pause on repayments. That pause has been in effect for about three years, but it looks like we're about to hit the play button. To learn more, we turn to two experts, Cody Hunanian, who's executive director of the Student Debt Crisis Center, and Jack Wallace, who's the head of government affairs and industry relations at YRFI, a student loan refinance group. We also opened our phones to hear from some of you. Now, Cody, when talks around the debt ceiling deal were first happening, were you expecting student loan payments to come up? You know, it's a great question. Uh, You know, the GOP has been signaling from the get-go that they wanted to uh, tackle, uh, you know, rolling back student debt relief. And, you know, the debt ceiling bill that uh, is moving forward right now goes less further than the GOP proposed. They wanted to cut not just the student loan payment pause, but block uh, the president's ability to cancel student debt and even essentially block future reforms. So this bill does less, but I have to say we are deeply disappointed that the president essentially took out of his own toolkit uh, a powerful tool that he has to help Americans who are struggling, not just from the pandemic, but from the continued impact of inflation and other economic disruption. So uh, deeply disappointed, but the writing was on the wall as far as what those on the right wanted from this bill when it comes to student debt relief. Yeah. How about you, Jack? Any surprises there about where student loan payments fall? No, I think Cody is is correct in, in what he just said. I think what's interesting that most people don't know, and this may be why it got tied in, is that the monthly pause since March of 2020 has cost the U.S. Treasury about $5 billion a month in payments to the Treasury from those borrowers. So I think that's the nexus to getting to the debt ceiling stuff. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about what the debt ceiling deal will mean for student loan payments, Cody. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's just the true logistics. It will mean that we have to turn back on a student loan system that uh, has 40 million accounts. There essentially has never been uh, in the history of financial products, an attempt to turn on 40 million accounts. So the the, the logistics nightmare that comes with uh, making sure that folks are properly communicated with, that uh, accounts are, um, that student loan servicers are actually interacting with accounts accurately and without issues is going to be a huge hurdle. And we definitely anticipate that uh, there's going to be a lot of missteps and issues with the, the rollout. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not an economist. I'm an advocate. I talk to borrowers every day. And for them, what it means is less money in their pocket, more difficulty keeping a roof over their head, and even more challenges affording all of those increased costs for basic needs 
that the problem of inflation has been, uh, you know, continuing to to harm on uh, American families. So mm-hmm. real world impact. It's going to be very difficult for millions of families to afford their bills. Now, Cody, the, the deal still has to get through the Senate, as we've mentioned. So do you think folks in the Senate will try to protect the payment pause or? Well, I hope so. You know, we saw um, Rep. Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts come out and say that uh, with an amendment to try to remove this provision. And, you know, I want to be clear, we all, I think, agree that we don't want this debt ceiling issue to become a default for the American economy. But we also don't want millions of Americans to default on their student loans and face their own personal economic crisis. So I think it's very important that lawmakers come out and say we support a debt ceiling bill, but we do not support this particular provision that ends the student loan payment pause. Jack, your thoughts? Well, I mean, Cody's got some good points there. I mean, one of the interesting things is only 1%, you know, about 400,000 people uh, that are federal student loan borrowers actually continued to make payments since the pause of March 2020. So that's only about $12 billion of a $1.6 or $7 trillion uh, student loan portfolio. And, and he's right. I mean, the issue is, you know, historically, on a yearly basis, we see anywhere from 1 to 3 million college or graduate students getting out of college or graduate school and graduating and given six months to go into repayment. Now they're trying to put, you know, 30-plus million people with, uh, you know, $1.2 trillion in a repayment in about uh, a two-month period of time. So, you know, the big issue for the American consumer who has federal and private student loans as well is that they need to be prepared because this is going to happen. And in order to protect what's left of their excess cash uh, on a monthly basis, they need to be communicating with their servicer. Uh, And many of the services on the federal loan program have changed since the uh, pause went into effect. Many borrowers that are going to be making payments for the first time because they graduated subsequent to the pause. Yeah. And I don't want to confuse people. We're we're talking about uh, student loan payments and not debt forgiveness. So just to clarify once again, Jack, how are the issues different? Well, they're, they're dramatically different. I mean, what the pause does or what they call administrative forbearance is uh, both the the Republican and and Democratic presidents put people in this program to get us through COVID. And now what they're doing is being made to, you know, engage in paying back the financial obligation that they did take out to go to college. Forgiveness is looking to not have to pay it back at all. And that's a topic that is a very hot topic on all sides of the aisle, and um, is something that we're going to hear more about in the next next couple of weeks. So, yeah, there, there's a major difference between uh, looking for forgiveness, whether it's ten thousand, twenty thousand, or fifty thousand uh, dollars in forgiveness, mm-hmm. and going back into repayment. And Cody, because it's still a little unclear where things stand at this point. What should people do as a first step? I mean, do you, do you recommend they start? just preparing to pay their loans back? Yeah, I mean, it is it is very challenging to educate borrowers right now because so much is happening. 
Um, you know, I think step one for borrowers making sure that they are up to speed with the most current uh, policy changes, updates, and maybe even just updates to their account. Uh, you know, as Jack mentioned, millions of people have had their student loan company essentially change. So step one for me is to make sure that borrowers uh, have up-to-date uh, contact information with the Department of Education and the student loan servicing company that they work with. That guarantees that they're getting real-time updates. We know for years an obstacle has been that when a borrower maybe moves or takes a break from making payments, that those are opportunities for those channels of communication between them, the servicer, or the Department of Education mm -hmm. to break. So make sure you're up to speed by updating your contact information. That's the easiest first step. Any other tips to add there, Jack? Yeah, I think being prepared uh, as an old Eagle Scout is number one. And, and number two, uh, the issue is you're going to have to communicate, as, as, as Corey just said, because the other thing you're going to need is patience because these servicers have got to hire additional people to handle. They've never, as, as he said, they've never held handle this kind of volume before. So the waiting times are going to be similar to what we saw back in uh, you know, the second quarter of 2006 when interest rates changed and um, went up and waiting times were hours. So I would start communicating with your existing servicer or your new servicer after your show today and let them know, you know what your phone number is, what your email is, what your address is. And don't hide from your email box or your postal box and look for the information that's coming through the mail because getting people on the phone is going to be almost impossible. Let's jump to the phones and talk with Adriana in Morton Grove. Hey, Adriana, welcome to Reset. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. How are you, how are you doing? So I, I imagine you have a student loan. I do. I do. I am one of the billion, apparently. Yeah. So <laughs> what's on your mind? With that being said... As you guys were saying, the first step is is getting in contact with your financial institution and setting up an appointment. First, like point blank and period. But also, too, I was telling the woman who answered the phone that just taking it one step at a day and making sure that you're doing what you have to do is all that we can do right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for calling, Adrienne, and good luck to you. Yeah, Cody, I mean, I think Adriana sort of echoes some of the things you were saying earlier. She says one step at a time, right? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm impressed at Adriana's um, kind of positivity and optimism right. to this process. That will definitely serve her well. Jack is right. It is going to be very, very challenging for folks to contact their servicer and the Department of Ed. Communication is going to be slow. There will be confusion, and it's going to be frustrating and a challenge. Um, but, you know, Adriana's right, you know, you've got to try to just chip away at this, at managing your student loan debt the best you can, despite all of these issues, because they're in many ways out of our hands at this point. Um, so, yeah, Adriana, you know, applause to you for being optimistic and positive, but I know many borrowers are going to have very frustrating and concerning issues in the months ahead. Yeah, Jack, do you think people in, in general are even in a good place financially to, to start paying their loans back right now? No, because of the increase in interest rates over the course of the last year by the Federal Reserve, coupled with the uh, inflation that we've experienced. So that excess monthly cash I talked about earlier 
uh, if there's still any left, is eroded uh, tremendously. Yeah. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, you've got 10 or 15 percent of the population with federal loans that also have private loans. And those loans have continued to be in repayment. So now what do they do? Do they pay half to the private, half to the federal? Do they choose one or the other? Uh, and, and Cody may be able to address this point. But, you know, there's a new uh, income-driven uh, repayment program that's on the drawing board of the department. But that's not going to come out, as I understand it, Cody, until probably December. Yeah. So that could offer another alternative, Sasha, for people that can't afford to make the standard payments uh, to get into an income contingent repayment program. Is that about right, Cody? Yeah, I mean, there's so much happening in the student loan space beyond just debt cancellation and the student loan payment pause. The Biden administration has worked to fix the system through, you know, a variety of different reforms. And one of them is this important income-driven repayment plan that will be even more generous. And one of our arguments for why the student loan payment pause should remain in place is because we feel it is unfair and, and counterproductive to send 40 million people back into a student loan system that has yet to benefit from these reforms being put into place. So anticipate you know, better options and fixes in the future. Um, those are probably several months out, but there are still other things happening in the space that are designed to help borrow. Let's go back to talking about forgiveness, uh, Jack. Remind us of President Biden's debt forgiveness. Uh, folks with student loans still have that, right? Well, the, the, in terms of forgiveness, you've got the public service forgiveness program uh, that's been around for years, which there have been not, uh, there haven't been many uh, that have been forgiven in that program. There have been more uh, in in recent years. I mean, you also have the ability with, you know, if you're disabled and meet the medical requirements to, of being disabled to uh, apply for a disability to get out of paying uh, your, your student loan. Uh, you know, there's been fraud from some of the schools and people have been able to get out of it that way. So there have been, you know, programs around. Uh, one thing that is not permissible whether it's federal or private loans, is if you declare bankruptcy, that's the only consumer debt that's still on your credit report. Everything else gets wiped out. So mm-hmm. people need to be aware of that. I think the other thing, and this is tangential, Sasha, but you know, one of the good things, and I think Cody could probably talk to this, is you've got about seven, it was seven and a half million borrowers who are currently uh, severely delinquent or in default in the federal program, and they're going to get, you know, uh, sort of a, I'll put it in quotes, a fresh start and considered to be current and, in, in, you know, in good standing again. Mm-hmm. So if they can pay attention to that and do what the other millions of people that have just been on pause are going to do, you know, they'll get their, you know, and we're concerned with financial well-being of the American consumer, right. particularly those with student loans, and I think that's one way. you got to pay attention and be prepared. Let's hear from another caller. Here's Cindy in Hyde Park. Hi, Cindy. Welcome to Reset. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? We can hear you. What's your question? So I have about uh, $350,000 in debt. I borrowed sixty. dollars um, took out the loans in the 90s, so it was just many years of really insane interest. Um, I probably paid back the sixty, dollars um, but uh, as I said, it's the interest. 
So I took, I went on an income-based repayment plan in about 2010 with the understanding that after like 20 years, the loans would be forgiven. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what happens after the pause to my IBR? Do I get credit for the years that I've been in that program? Does it restart or am I back at zero? Cody, are you able to weigh in on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Cindy, thank you for sharing. And before I, I answer the question, I just want to acknowledge, like, there are many borrowers like Cindy who have paid back more than they borrowed, have tons of student debt that's essentially just accrued interest. And it's why we believe so much of this debt can be canceled because it's essentially bogus in the first place. Uh, but Cindy, I, I think you are in a prime position to possibly benefit for some recent reforms. So Cindy described the income-driven repayment plan uh, is intended to have folks uh, apply every year for lower payment based on their income. And if they're able to retain that program for 20 or 25 years, whatever debt is remaining should be forgiven. The problem is, like many of the federal student loan programs, it had been marred by red tape, bureaucratic obstacles, and things that prevented borrowers from actually receiving relief. This year, there will be something called the one-time account adjustment that is designed to give people credit for years that they should have been given credit for making their payments, but were maybe um, disqualified for different choices they made with their account along the way. So someone like Cindy might actually be right ready to receive student debt relief under these new account adjustments. So I would encourage folks to go to studentaid.gov, the Department of Education's website, and learn all about this one-time account adjustment. It could help many, many people. Our thanks to listeners who phoned in and Cody Hunanian, who's the executive director of the group Student Debt Crisis. Also, Jack Wallace, who's the head of government affairs and industry relations at YRFI. Thank you all. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab and Dan Tucker. If you're looking for more ways to connect with Reset, have you followed us on TikTok yet? Our digital engagement producer, Claire Hyman, just shared some of the best places to get pizza by the slice in Chicago. Go give us a follow at WBEZ underscore Reset and check that out. That's all for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.